And the Oscar goes and to... And the Oscar goes and the Oscar to... Goes to. My only object in being here is to try and get at the truth. Where shall I go? What shall I do? He's looking at you, kid. Frankly, my dear, I don't give a damn. Could have been a contender. Fasten yourself. I could have been somebody. They can only kill me with a golden bullet. What have I done? Call me Mr. Tibbs. I'm gonna make him an offer. Oh, real man. Love is, is Love. too weak a word. Stay back. I, I love you. I love you. I love you. I love you. If there's something wrong, it's wrong with the instructions. This ain't reality TV! Respect it and validate it. Remember that you told me? It's time, Robbie! Welcome to the next Best Picture Podcast. And the Oscar goes to Green Book. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 136 of the Next Best Picture Podcast. I am your host, Matt Neglia. On March 31st, 2019, time of recording is 11, 11 a.m. Jeremiah! Ah! us it's a us reference everyone in any event joining me for this episode i have will maveny hello 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 you sounded like josh parham there for a second it is josh parham (laughs) oh gosh josh parham hello hello (laughs) i can tell the difference (laughs) michael schwartz i'm only giving a single hello to keep up with the trend deanne knighton hi and Nicole Ackman. What is left for me to say? I can't shorten. Hello. <laughs> Yo. Yo huh. Nicole Ackman. <laughs> we can we can just start with hello and end with a goodbye later goodbye. on. So we're done. Yeah. I thought you sounded like Adam Driver. <laughs> <laughs> Well, everyone, uh, for this week's episode, we are discussing the end of Q1 2019. Three months are officially behind us. We'll be talking mostly about the films that have made the biggest impact on us so far this year. And yes, we will be excluding films that premiered at Sundance because they have officially not released yet in a lot of cases. Sorry, I'm sorry. So the films that have gotten theatrical releases that people have actually seen, those are the ones that we will be discussing on today's episode primarily. We have some fan questions, some polls to go over, including the polls for the offseason, which will encompass the year 2015. We're going to be doing a retrospective looking back on that year. You guys voted on which movies we will be reviewing on the Patreon exclusive podcast. We're really, really excited for that, and it will culminate in MVP Film Awards voted on by the staff here at Next Best Picture and by you, the MVP Film community. But first and foremost, before we get into everything, let's start off by asking the million-dollar question. What did everybody watch this week? Let's start off with Will. Well, I caught up on Us. I've been on the East Coast a lot, so I uh, looking at law school, so I was a little behind. But I did see Us, um, enjoyed it, not as much as Get Out, thought the tone was a little off. But, um, you know, it's, 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 it's a fun little horror film, and I look forward to seeing what Peel does next. Michael? Well, Matt, you're going to be very impressed. Remember two weeks ago when I said I didn't see any movies? Yes. Last week I saw one movie. This yes. week I saw two movies. Oh, hashtag do better. <laughs> I doubled myself here. So oh my I God, saw, I'm so proud of you. First I saw Gloria Bell. Mm-hmm. which honestly I thought it was uh, just mediocre. Yeah, I, I, I can get that. Uh, Julian Moore, though, is pretty great. She was fine, but it's not anything I would rank with her best work. You know, she was good, but it was like I kept waiting for the movie to take off, which was weird because I had seen and liked Gloria a couple of years ago, but I just like kept waiting for more to happen. Mm-hmm. But uh, I liked the soundtrack a lot. That was my favorite part of it. Mm. So I saw that on Tuesday and then 
I saw Dumbo on Thursday. I actually saw 100 minutes of Dumbo because my theater was evacuated due to a fire alarm that went off, which was pretty crazy. But it was a testament to how much I was enjoying the movie that I actually went back on Friday night just to see the ending. Mm. And uh, I know people haven't been so thrilled with Dumbo. I've been reading the reactions this past weekend. I listened to the podcast here on Next Best Picture. But I have to say, I was so won over by this movie. And I didn't think I was going to like it for the first 20 minutes or so. It just wasn't clicking with me at first. But once that little elephant comes on screen, and once you have these inspired performances from like Danny DeVito and Michael Keaton and Alan Arkin pops up, I really enjoyed myself and just found that elephant so incredibly amazing. Can it Christopher Robin itself its way to a visual effects nomination? I haven't seen it. so Some of it's a little... It's not Uncanny Valley, but it's just not top tier. No. Like the Dumbo itself, that creation looks pretty amazing. But the way he's incorporated into the world isn't always seamless. I also think even Disney is going to forget about this film because they've got more stuff coming out that they're going to be focused on. I mean, they forgot about Christopher Robin and they didn't get it. It didn't. They couldn't get Black Panther in yet. Somehow Christopher Robin did so. But I, I just like for the movie itself, my time watching it, I was very engaged, very entertained. I liked the four minute movie into this two hour Tim Burton thing. And but I like Tim Burton. I think he swings to the fences sometimes. And this was a nice combination of director and material. And I think he pulled it off. Yeah, I got to ask, you though, Michael, you said you listened to our podcast review. Did you understand the complaints that we had or did they just not register for you at all? They just didn't register for, for me. I understand why other people would have them, but it's you know. no, no, no. That's what I mean. Do you understand the complaints that we had? Sure. I mean, but it's not anything that I saw as an issue for myself watching it. Always interesting, Michael. Always did you interesting. Underst- uh, d- did you understand the complaints? Of course he understood them. <laughs> I didn't agree with them, but I understood where you were coming from. Mm. <laughs> mm, mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm. I've been told I do mm a lot, so I'm just trying to set a record for this I'm episode, clearly. I'm rolling mm. your eyes off screen, Matt, and it's it's preparing me to like pick my computer up and like put my knee through it. Yeah. Well, mm. Alrighty, so moving on from that, Nicole, what about you? Yeah, I saw two films this week. Um, I saw Dumbo, and I finally watched Spider-Man Homecoming. Which wait, two... wait, wait, Homecoming? Yeah. As in like... Oh yeah, I saw that with you, Nicole. Yeah, which has, there, that's two very different Michael Keaton villain performances. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, as anyone who listened to the podcast knows, I thought that Dumbo was pretty dreadful. Like, the elephant's very cute. Colin Farrell in his World War One uniform is very cute, and that's about <laughs> all the good that I've got for it. But I fell in love with Spider-Man Homecoming. Like, I think I said my son at Tom Holland, like, 25 times. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I thought that was great. And so, like, going into Dumbo, I was like, oh, Michael Keaton's going to be great again. And then he was not. So... Mm. Yeah, Matt, neither Nicole nor I saw Spider-Man Homecoming when it came out in 2017. Wow. This the time we caught it. Yeah, so we watched it with my sister, who is obsessed with Tom Holland. <laughs> Rightfully so. Tom Holland is such a likable actor. I mean, that scene that scene when he's under the rubble is one of the best Spider-Man moments in oh any movie yeah, by far. Yeah, that was a great scene. Oh, it's phenomenal. It's a pretty good movie. And that car scene with Keaton is just Yee. tension to the yeah. max. That Love scene. it. I was so stressed out. (laughs) (laughs) I liked uh, the Washington Monument scene. Yeah. No, overall, as far as like the Marvel MCU films go, that's one that I really enjoyed. Even like the shoehorn Tony Stark stuff made sense. 
You know what I mean? Yeah. So, uh, yeah, Homecoming is definitely up there for me in the uh, in the MCU. And we'll be definitely talking about the MCU a lot as we head into April and we get closer to Avengers Endgame. Mr. Stark, I don't feel so good. <laughs> uh, Josh Parham, what about you? Uh, well, I also caught up with Dumbo and I share the majority of the sentiments and not really liking the movie that much, unfortunately. Uh, I am a huge Tim Burton fan. I really do credit him with being the guy that got me into movies and... I've been rather disappointed with his career lately, and I think Dumbo certainly isn't as bad as some other movies he's made, but overall I just found it to be very bloated and mostly with characters that I didn't find that interesting, and Dumbo was cute, the the actual elephant, but I think the movie doesn't spend enough time with him, so unfortunately I came away from that movie not liking it very much. Mm. Uh, And then I saw The Beach Bum, Oh, which... I also did not really like that much. Ooh. Yeah. Um, I am not the biggest fan of Harmony Corinne, to be honest with you. The only movie of his I've really liked is Spring Breakers. And I really just thought the beach bum was filled with characters that were just so unappealing. And I really couldn't understand why the Matthew McConaughey character was somebody that I wanted to follow around because he just seems so inept at everything and is one of those characters that things just happen to in the movie and a lot of good things seem to happen to him without any reason for it and that was just annoying and frustrating and yeah sort of walked out hating that one too so unfortunately Mm, it wasn't a very good weekend at the movies for me but that is what i caught up with Oh, man. Okay. Well, I was debating whether or not to see Beach Bum uh, this weekend. I'm currently uh, visiting family at the moment, so I didn't get a chance to see it in the theater. Uh, But the more and more I hear about it, I hear it just meanders and the storytelling is very slow and kind of pointless, um, aside from from some good visuals. Yeah, I mean, I would say that if you are already a Harmony Corinne fan, there's probably stuff in here for you. But if you're not really into his filmography, I don't see how there's an entry point at all. Yeah. DN? Okay, let's see. Sorry, I'm still recovering from this cold, um, so I've got a little bit of that going on. But I saw a couple of documentaries. I caught up with Abducted in Plain Sight on Netflix, which oh. is insane. Has anyone seen it? No. Oh, my God, you guys. It's a cheat that actually I think a 2017 film, but it's just obviously been people have been talking about it a lot right now because it's on Netflix. But it is a crazy story. It's not a great documentary, but it is a crazy story. Um, And then I saw The Inventor um, Out for Blood in Silicon Valley on HBO. Oh, yeah. Has Mm -hmm. anyone seen that? Yeah. Yeah. That's the one about it. I I just watched that last night. Really interesting. You know, I'm hearing I'm not familiar with the podcast, nor have I read the book. And I'm hearing that the documentary kind of doesn't really tell as deep of a story as those other two um, methods of storytelling do. But the thing about the film is at least you get to see the fact that this woman literally never blinks. And it is crazy. So unsettling. (laughs) And her voice. Oh, her voice and her eyeballs. Every time someone says the future. Like what? Apparently that's not a real voice. Okay, and so here's my deal. I'm like, okay, you sleep four hours and you only have water in your fridge. So are we going to talk about your Coke addiction or Mm -hmm. is that like, so anyway, 
um, crazy film, but I do hear that it kind of makes me want to go explore some of those other things to learn more, even more detail about the story. Um, you know, I felt like it was good, but I don't know about you guys, but you know, obviously the footage they had of her was very limited. It was from basically one fortune magazine interview. And so you don't have, you know, it's really just sort of a retelling of that story. And if you already know that story, you may not be getting a lot out of it. Um, but it was good and interesting. Um, and then last but not least, I saw Gloria Bell and I have to completely disagree with the sentiments shared earlier. This is my favorite film of the year so far outside of some things I saw at Sundance. I loved Gloria Bell. I have not seen the original, so I am going to um, catch up with that this week. But what I, I can say that I loved about it is there was just a really nice subtlety to it. You know, you stay with Julianne Moore the, for the entirety of the story. It is 100% her story, but the film doesn't bother with silly exposition or making her have conversations with friends where she's telling you about what she's thinking. There really is basically no point in time that she actually talks about what she's thinking. It's all expressed in her face and, and the ways that she sort of expresses herself through music and dancing. And I found that really lovely. And, and um, I also thought uh, the last scene was fantastic. I wanted to yeah. get up in the I think, you know, it's really interesting. A lot of the times like, when you're telling um, female stories, there are villains and then there are kind of those um, wolf and sheep clothing type of people that are common for um, all of us to run into throughout life. And I think that this story kind of, you know, tells that in just a nice, subtle, but smart way. And I was in. I loved it. John Turturro's character made me visibly angry in that movie, right? Uh, which means it did its job, I think. Uh, but I was, ooh, when I was watching this movie in the movie theater, you could probably tell if you looked over at me, I was fuming internally watching that character on screen. It was so frustrating. But that, I think that's what, you know, aided in me enjoying the movie a lot. Because I was really with her on that journey, and yeah, I really and felt for her. This dance club, people, because I need a disco <laughs> dance club in my life. I'm no, I mean, you really think I'm kidding? But if I had a place like that that existed in Salt Lake City, I would be there every single night. So I don't know. Maybe I don't know where they are. Let me know. Maybe I'll move there. They looked very happy to be there. Oh, yeah. I loved it. I would dance to that music all night long. Uh, so I saw. What did I see this week? Okay, so I saw Dumbo. Thoughts are on the podcast. I saw a movie called Teen Spirit with Elle Fanning, uh, directed by Max Mangella. You guys know him from The Social Network and The Handmaid's Tale. Uh, but this is him following in his father, Anthony Mangella's uh, footsteps Holy as crap, a director. That's his dad? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. I never made that connection. You never realized the last name was the same? Mm. Yeah. Crazy, right? So this is his uh, directorial debut, and the movie is um, your standard, typical rise to pop stardom. You know, a girl from a small country town kind of comes from obscurity. She has to, like, find her confidence and find her voice. And it's very standard storytelling. The screenplay is nothing to write home about. Elle Fanning is great, as always. I mean, like... I'm obsessed with her, I think, at this point, because she, like Haley Lou Richardson, just every single role, they just knock it out of the park every single time. And I never knew that Elle Fanning could sing like this good. She 
like legitimately convinced me that she could be an actual pop star. <laughs> it was pretty insane. But the thing that impressed me uh, more so than that was uh, Max Mangiello really announcing himself as an exciting filmmaker to watch. His lensing, his use of the camera, you know, hear me out. Maybe because he is a you know, first time director, he probably just hired maybe a really good DP. And the cinematographer could be compensating maybe for the lack of experience that he may have as a director. I don't know. Okay, so I can understand if somebody wants to make that argument to me, but that doesn't take away from the fact that this movie is visually stunning and he has an eye for capturing really gorgeous visuals and editing it to the music. And it just from a stylistic point of view, I was very, very much impressed and I can't wait to see what he does next. Uh, and then I also, for the first time ever, this movie eluded me for many, many years, and I decided to start going uh, through some streaming devices to watch some movies from this decade as we prepare uh, to close out the 2010s. I watched The Spectacular Now for the first time ever. Mm. Oh, I love that movie. I share that exact same sentiment, Deanne. <laughs> I was so won over by that movie. So won over performances, the, uh, the authenticity of the writing. There was a lot that I uh, related to with uh, Miles Teller's character in many ways. And uh, what's her name? Shailene Woodley. God, I loved her in this. It just the natural charisma that both of them possessed and just how their chemistry came together. I mean, I'm sure everyone on the pod has seen it. And I'm obviously playing catch up kind of like, you know, the Spider-Man Homecoming uh, talk before. Mm -hmm. But I, I can't wait to revisit some other films that I just have missed from this decade so far, because if there are any as if they are as good as this, then I'm in for quite a treat uh, these next couple of months. So, yeah, I remember getting a double dose of Shailene Woodley seeing that and then also Fault in Our Stars, which honestly, I think she's fantastic. And yeah. I remember thinking like this girl is awesome. And it's so interesting. She kind of got wrapped up in that series and divergent. Now, yeah, yep, exactly. Oh. Um, and now I'm like, I'm hoping we're going to see her, you know, kind of get back to some of the more independent films. Cause I, I think she's big little great. lies is helping. Oh, that's right. Good point. Yeah. And, and so also speaking of, um, Elle Fanning, I just want to ask everyone, I had this really weird moment this week where I was like, whatever happened to Dakota Fanning? Does anyone know? <laughs> she's still around and she's in some stuff coming up. She is. Okay. Yeah, I, I just mean, heard I it's just, uh, something pretty big. Seems uh, like her sister is definitely the one um, whose star is rising at the moment. What is it? It's uh. What know. was that movie that directed by Ewan McGregor that made like no money? That we all thought was going to be like her comeback film. Do you guys oh, remember uh, American Pastoral? Yes. Oh, oh man. <laughs> yeah, that was. Okay, oh. she's in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, and she's playing a squeaky from. Oh, okay. There we go. We'll see. She probably is like two minutes in it like Jonah Hill. Yeah, I was going to say, it could be like a one-off thing. Exactly. You never well, know if Quentin... It, it all depends how much the Manson stuff is going to play a role because, then, you know, Squeaky Fromm is a really big role in the Manson That's story. That's true. But yeah. you know, I don't know how much they're going to focus on that element of it. This could just be the Brad Pitt, Leonardo DiCaprio show. Well, speaking of films to look forward to, uh, we do have some trailers to talk about on this week's episode. And one of them is for <laughs> an adaptation of a cartoon known as Dora the Explorer. Only this one is called Dora and the Lost City of Gold, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. It basically is like an El Dorado sequel that I never thought I needed or probably still don't need. Uh, but anyway, let's take a look at the trailer and get into uh, why that might be. You know the jungle. It's a part of you. But exploring is not a game. And you don't look before you leap. 
We're on to something big, Dora. An ancient city made of gold. Parapata. And your mother and I are gonna prove it. And me. I'm sorry, sweetie, you're not going. What? Being in the city around kids your own age, like Diego, might help. So you're gonna get invited to some of these parties called raves. The music sounds like this. Go get it! Be careful. That's what we want to say. Cousin Diego, you're so skinny and tall. You are way more energetic than I remember. Dora, this isn't the jungle. It's high school. It's life or death. Keep a low profile. Just be yourself. Uh, excuse me? I'm kind of stuck. And just be cool, Dora. Okay, what is this? Oh. Where did you transfer from? The jungle. Here's the scavenger hunt list. Team up in groups of four. Hola, Dora. Let me go! You'll help us find your parents and the lost city of gold. Where are we? All I see is jungle. I see three mercenaries armed. Oh, look. Dora brought a knife on the field trip, everybody. Hey, come with me if you want to live. I work with your parents. You're all in danger. We're gonna die out here. There's no need to overreact. She knows this monkey. I have to keep going no matter what. She's freaking awesome. I think we're safe. Not safe. Not safe. Not safe. This film is not yet rated. Dora and the Lost City of Zed. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> could you imagine, like, James Gray, like, directing this? Oh, that's all I could think of. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, I, I have to echo a lot of the uh, talk that was had on the internet after this trailer dropped. This, this doesn't look good. Even in the family fun let's play it a little silly for the kids sort of way it just doesn't look it looks appealing way too dark for what dora is you know uh, nicole might be with me here i know will probably uh, escape this in his childhood but uh, <laughs> uh dora was a big part of my early childhood i was like five years old when that show started which oh was wow prime time to be watching that so you know i grew up with dora and map and boots and swiper no swiping and all of that so you know this was not anything I was really looking forward to all these years later, but, you know, could have been good for that age range now. But this just does not look like the Dora I remember watching as a young child. Yeah, here's the thing about it. Like, I watched, I didn't watch it that much when I was young, but I watched a lot of Dora with my little sister and a lot of Go Diego Go as well. Um, and I cannot figure out who the hell they are trying to market this film to. Because it looks too dark for the kids who still watch Dora, but no one my age that I know is interested in a Dora the Explorer movie. So, like, yeah. who wants this? <laughs> and if they were going to be, like, ironic and do something unique, like, we've seen plenty of, you know, children's shows turned into unique movies that have, like, a bit of a biting edge to it. But this like doesn't seem bunch. anything like that. Yeah, pretty much, exactly. You gotta go all in on that, though. Right, yeah. and this is like some weird middle ground where it's trying to have its cake and eat it too, where it just doesn't look like it's going to work. And it's a shame because this is like the first 
mainstream movie with an all Latino cast in almost 20 years. Is it really? Yeah, I saw some stat the other day. That it's like first mainstream movie to have an entirely Latino cast. Wow. Like yeah. 2001, I think. Wow. I, I wasn't aware of that. It was 20 years. Was that Spy Kids? <laughs> Is it Spy Kids? It was something like that. I don't know if it was Spy Kids, but it was uh, something around that same time. I, I just saw a post the other day. Wow. But, well, uh, I was wondering, I was thinking just... that nostalgia was the reason that this movie existed and everyone on this podcast who enjoyed this as a child is approving that theory out the door. So um, this, I, I missed this. Obviously, I'm quite a bit older. So this came out when I was uh, well into my late teens. So I never really had much interest. But if it's not appealing to nostalgia and it doesn't fit what what people who are watching the show want now, I'm with Nicole. I don't really see what we're doing here. I will say this, Isabella Moner, uh, who was in Transformers The Last Night, uh, Sicario Day of the uh, Soldado. She's very talented, I think. And I definitely don't think this will derail her career or anything like that. Uh, I mean, what was that other thing she was in? Um, the one with Mark Wahlberg and Rose Byrne. Oh, it, it was like the, the sleeper hit of like December. Instant Family, that was it, yeah. I, she's great in uh, everything that I've seen her in so far. Even Transformers The Last Night, which I was like, eh, you know. Uh, she still uh, managed to be a presence in that at such a young age. So playing the lead here is very good for her career. I, I, I have to say, yes, the Latino cast, anything that Michael Pena is in, I like I, he's one of those actors that I, I just love everything that he does on screen for the most part, even in really crappy movies. He tends to be the standout in a lot of stuff. End of Watch, man. Yeah, he's great in that. Oh, and he's also really great in the Ant-Man movies, too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you I'm have the director the- from the 2011 Muppets, which I loved. Yeah, so. it's directed by James Bobbin and yeah. written by Nick Stoller, who's done a lot of good work. He did Get Into the Greek, Neighbors, Forgetting Sarah Marshall, The Muppets, of course, uh, Neighbors, too. Again, a weird guy to be writing a kid's movie. Yeah, so why can't, because those are good talents behind the camera. So what do we think just couldn't come together with this trailer then? Well, he also, you know, he did the Captain Underpants movie a few years ago. I didn't see that, but I know people. Oh, that was good. It. He did yeah. Storks, directed Storks. Uh, that I was okay. This trailer, look, maybe this could turn out to be something totally different from what the trailer suggests. But if you're trying to market it to that, you know, door audience, the show's not on anymore, but people who grew up watching it, you know, mm-hmm. the three things you need to have in there are Boots, Swiper, and Map. And they only have like a cutaway shot of Boots. And now I'm looking at this cast list. Apparently Boots is voiced by Danny Trejo. And yep. Swiper, who's not even featured in the trailer, is voiced by Academy Award winning actor Benicio Del Toro. Which uh, initially when the cast was first announced, I was super excited. I was like, wow, a movie with Eva Longoria, Danny Trejo, Benicio Del Toro, Adriana Barraza. Like, what the hell? And then I found out a lot of them were voice actors. And I was like, oh, <laughs> so yeah, if this were trying to be something else, which who knows, maybe it still is. I would be interested because Dora was a big part of my early childhood. But as it stands now, this does not look too promising. I don't want to butcher the guy's name, but the cinematographer on this film is the uh, DP who shot uh, The Road and also, um, oh God, was it, did he do Pan's Labyrinth? No. I think he did. Um, Javier, uh, oh, that's a tough last name. Yeah, I, I, I don't want to butcher <laughs> it, but I mean, so you got good, good, you know, DP, you have John Debney doing the uh, music, who, I mean, I, I love his score for The Jungle Book, so... I don't know. Like It's just one of those instances where I feel like all the talent is there. But for some reason, I think, Nicole, I think you hit the nail right on the head. I don't think this trailer knows 
what audience it's trying to capture with its tone. Yeah. And I think that was the most off-putting aspect about it. And that's why I'm just not excited now, despite the talent involved. So if the movie doesn't know what it wants to be and who it's trying to attract, then that kind of might tell me that it's translating into the screenplay as well. Oh, man, the, the DP is uh, inconsistent, <laughs> to say the least. Yes, he did The Road, but he also did the Twilight movies <laughs> and Identity Thief, Goosebumps. Well, he's got some good, he's got some good stuff in there. Uh, you know, he did Thor Ragnarok. And he did... Uh... Oh. Few Woody Allen movies, Victor's in Barcelona, Blue Jasmine. So yeah, you're you're right there, Will. Inconsistent, sure, but there's some decent stuff there. And I mean, the trailer for this, uh, visually speaking, while it didn't set my life on fire or nothing like that, it's still. Yeah, I, I think I'm being too nice. Yeah, I don't think it looks good. <laughs> if she oh my god, Michael Bay is producing help, this. I'm going to be disappointed. Oh, wait, who's who's producing this? Michael Bay is producing the Dora the Explorer movie. What? Oh, yeah, I heard that. I had heard that, but then I just looked up the credits and he wasn't featured on the list anymore. So I don't know he's if he's fallen out. still involved. Or it could be an executive producer role, may not be the actual producer. I'm telling you, audience participation is what they need here. Everyone can take out their smartphones for one point in the movie and direct Dora <laughs> to do whatever she needs to do. <laughs> I like that, actually, Michael. Let's make an interactive live version of that. That'd be a lot of fun. Tour of the Explorer, Bandersnatch. <laughs> All right, so that's looking forward to August, uh, but right now I want to talk about the first three months of 2019. I want to talk about the movies from the first quarter of the year that we feel have been the best so far, the ones that have been released theatrically that everyone else has had a chance to see at this point. So right now, that's actually the poll for this week. Uh, which films from Q1 2019 have been your favorite? You're allowed to choose up to three. And that's exactly what I'm going to ask each and every one of you right now is to tell me your top three favorite movies of the year so far. So let's start off with Will Mavity. What have been the three best movies you have seen so far in 2019? Well, because somebody won't let me mention my Sundance films were most of my favorite. Because nobody's seen them. <laughs> yeah, well, we, should, we could get them excited for what's coming down the line. We already did that already. We did a whole podcast dedicated to that. Come on. Okay. I really liked Apollo 11. Okay. Which was a Sundance film, but that did yes, release. It, it, it has been released, <laughs> so I can actually say that. You can, totally. I guess I will include Us, which I, I did like, but I was a little disappointed by, but it's it's good enough to be there. And you know what? I'm going to throw uh, Hulu's Fire Fraud in there. I thought that was such a delightfully uncomfortable documentary to watch. It could have gone a little bit deeper into the why that everyone was so drawn to this. But it's honestly so enjoyable to follow, and I certainly learned a lot from it. So we'll go with that, too. Okay, that's totally fair. Uh, Michael, let's go to you. So I'm going to go from a three to one here, with one being my favorite so far this year. Surely. Uh, n number three is Us. I okay. copy everything Will just said. I thought it was good. I didn't love it, but I think there's a lot of merit in there. So number three, Us. Number two, Matt, I'm sorry, but for everything I just said earlier at the top of the show, my number two is Dumbo. Oh, okay. Which I found <laughs> thoroughly entertaining and delightful. And my number one, which, you know, I don't think it's been a particularly strong first half of the year. Or not first, I mean, first, first quarter of the year. But my number one as it stands right now is Apollo 11. Yeah, that's a great documentary. I just found that so transfixing. 
the footage, you know, everything in space was obviously amazing. But for me, just seeing all the crowds gathered to watch liftoff, like they were buying their Krispy Kreme donuts 50 years ago and getting their coffee. And it's so clear and vivid, this restoration. It felt like it was people dressed up in period clothing filmed yesterday. I could not believe this was footage that we were seeing that was half a century old. It's true. Uh, I was definitely stunned by the footage. And I mean, did you see it in IMAX? Yes. Yeah, it is just so epic in scope and size. I, I was very thoroughly impressed by it. I, I, I couldn't believe yeah, I it. I saw it on a weekday afternoon and it was a near sellout, which I couldn't believe for a documentary in IMAX. And the sound is great. The editing, the music, that's a very well put together documentary. It, it's a beauty. And for it to not be a talking heads doc either, uh, which is something that I know for a lot of people, they might go into it thinking, oh man, I don't know if I'll be able to sit through this. This might be a little boring. No, it's riveting. It just totally holds you in the palm of its hand. It is gripping. Great companion piece to First Man. Oh, yeah, definitely. A great double feature. You're right. Okay, Dian. Okay, so number three would be Captain Marvel. Uh, not my favorite Mar- or not my favorite Marvel ever, but certainly um, I thought it did a really good job with what it was trying to convey, and I really enjoyed it. Um, I'm very confused about Shazam and why his name is Captain Marvel, and maybe someone can explain all of that to me someday, but we don't have to do that today. Um, <laughs> number two um, would be us. I re- we talked about that obviously on the podcast extensively. I thought this movie was so much fun. I think there's so many layers. I think it's going to be something we're going to continue to talk about throughout the year. I think it's here to stay in discussions and whether or not it's making top tens um, or getting any awards talk obviously is out is definitely still up there. But when you look at what's come uh, this year so far, I think we have to mention the impact and the cultural impact that that film has had. Yeah. Um, and then number one for me, I just talked about earlier, it's Gloria Bell. I think Gloria Bell is going to be my Tolly of this year, something that I see in the spring that sticks on my top 10 list all year long when everyone else forgets about it. I don't. I have a feeling that, that Gloria Bell is going to be my Tolly. Nice. That's really, really sweet. Josh Parm. Well, I got three movies that probably very, very few people have even heard of, let alone seen. So try me. Well, yeah, I, I, you'll probably have seen at least one of these. Um, well, I know you've seen at least one because my number three is Arctic. Yes, yes. Yeah, and I would say that I think Arctic is a movie that overall has a very simple story to it and isn't like saying a whole lot, but it is pretty riveting while you're watching it. And Mads Mikkelsen is pretty outstanding in it. You can truly believe everything that he's going through in that film and i think that he is if there is any reason to see it at all is because of his performance definitely do you think parm that that is a performance that could surprisingly like we're not predicting it but critics somehow resurrect it in you know best actor uh you know nominations towards the end of the year maybe i i doubt that actually i think that the filmmaking itself would have needed to be kind of outstanding for you to remember it because it's already kind of forgotten. So yeah, I feel like it was a non-starter. I, I feel like it was in theaters for one week and nobody saw it and it was gone. Yeah. And it's a shame because I remember talking to people that were kind of interested in seeing it, but it just never expanded to the point that people got a chance to. So I yeah. wanted to, it was just gone so quickly. Yeah, yeah. And it's unfortunate. It, it is a really solid movie and I did enjoy it. You'll be able to catch it pretty soon on streaming, Will, because uh, obviously it'll be out very, very soon. So 
Yeah. What else you got, Josh? Uh, well, uh, another movie that I really enjoyed that is a very, very small movie is a film called Giant Little One. Oh, my gosh. I have the screener sitting in my apartment. I have not watched it yet. Oh, oh it's so, <laughs> so good. Um, basically, it's a coming-of-age movie uh, about these two uh teenage boys that are kind of going through a testing of their friendship. Um, you know, it does have some familiar territory, but it's executed so beautifully. I loved all those characters and the storytelling. It kind of is the definition of just what great small scale character driven independent film can be. I truly loved it and I encourage everybody to seek it out and support it it's such a wonderful film i feel that way about a movie that's not going to make my top three but i feel that way about a movie called diane that i saw recently Mm. where shoestring budget shot in 19 days but the focus on the authenticity of the characters uh the the actors performances and it's one of those things like you said there josh you know when you're watching like a true independent film not like the kind of independent films we think of like in the sense of uh like say that get like why like pretty wide distribution like gloria bell but something that's like not really seen and like feels very tiny sometimes there is a like i don't want to say like a, a spell or a power it casts over us but there is something i feel like there's like a pull so to speak that makes us want to promote it more and like really you know cherish it and hold it close you know what i mean yeah yeah those kind of small stories that are told so well you just want to shouted from the rooftops is like exactly this because this is what real great storytelling is yeah and you did that for me with giant little ones i i I reached out uh as soon as i saw your review of it and how high you were on it and i I, i'm telling you i can't wait to see it now because of that yeah it's it's really good it's a really special movie and the final film i want to talk about is one that has gotten a very very limited release like like a theater at a time it's been that small and it's a movie that played last year, I believe, at Cannes, and it's called Knife and Heart. Oh, my God. I have not heard of this. Yeah. Um, I think it I believe it did play last year at Cannes, and I think it won the the queer palm there, the sort of like LGBT uh, specialized content uh, award over there. And it is a very odd movie. Um, it It's. Sort of is in the vein of like very artistic, um, eccentric type filmmaking, and it is not going to be for everybody. Uh, the kind of bare bone story that I can tell is that basically there's a filming crew uh, in the 70s and there's murders going on, but it's a very strange movie. You kind of have to just see it to believe it, but it's one of those things that if you can tap into the sort of very weird and stylized wavelength of the film, you're going to have like a really fun time with it. Uh, I really enjoyed it. It's a very selective audience, I think, that will go for it. But if you are interested in it, I would say look up the trailer. And if that looks like something that you would go in for, I think you'd have a really good time. All right. And uh, Nicole, I understand you have two that you're passionate about. Yeah, I've been spending a lot of the beginning of 2019 catching up on 2018 films that I had missed. Um, But this might shock people who actually read my review of it. But in, like, retrospect, I really enjoyed The Aftermath. It's not a perfect film, but it's like Keira Knightley in a period drama with some really interesting 
ideas about what it means to recover from a war that you've lost um, that have kind of stuck with me. And then the other one is honestly Captain Marvel. Like, and I know that I am partially influenced by my little sister's love for it um, because she's, well, I wouldn't say she's 15. She just turned 16 and she's obsessed. And to see that kind of effect on younger girls and to think like how much I could have used that movie when I was in my like preteen teen years makes me appreciate it even more. But also Brie Larson is a queen and that movie is beautiful and it deals with like some very real things that women deal with today, which I think is really cool to see, you know, the Marvel world embracing that a bit more. And I hope that its success at the box office will lead us to more female focused Marvel movies. So I'm going to say that. That's really, really sweet. I love I love hearing that. (laughs) Uh, my number three is Climax, Gaspar Noe's Descent mm. into Hell and Madness. Uh, I have said before, like with Annihilation, for example, in the last 15 minutes or so of that movie, it felt like I was on drugs without taking drugs while watching <laughs> it. Uh, Climax's entire runtime from yeah. the first frame all the way to the last felt like I was on drugs. Yeah, that whole movie is just the like personification of like a bad acid trip. <laughs> yep. It really truly I mean the plot is about a bad acid trip and you while watching it feel like you were on a bad acid trip. I mean, Josh, th- there's that shot in the film where the camera is upside down on the floor. Yeah. That I, I just I-, I I was I was speechless when I saw it. I could not believe some of the camera work in this movie and how I don't want to say transportive, but I really felt like I was losing my sense of self while watching it. Okay, like, are you trying to sell people on this movie? I know. <laughs> I, I felt hypnotized, honestly, while watching it. Like I really my did. Worst nightmare. I think I'm going to do a double feature of Climax and the Beach Bum. How does that? No, let me. Let me. I'm. 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 I'm totally honest. Like, this is a movie that if you really give yourself over to it, it's not an enjoyable experience. Let me be very clear about this. Yeah. And he's taking it home with the cell. Yeah, if any of you have ever taken acid before and had a bad experience, that is legitimately what this movie feels like. Legit. Am I speaking from experience? I don't know. Read into it however you want. All I'm saying is that this movie fucked me up. <laughs> and I enjoyed it for that. I, no, because honestly, it was, an, it was an experience that was unique. It was something that I don't think any other movie this year might have the ability to do. And I really appreciate that as somebody who wants to get uh, something unique when they go to the cinema. Uh, suffice to say, it's very disturbing. <laughs> I have seen that movie, too. And you liked it a lot more than I did. But I do agree with you that it is a very singular experience. And that's what you get with uh, Gaspar Noé. Um, I think that he is one of the most interesting filmmakers working. It's definitely an acquired taste. But I think that what he does with the kind of language of those tools in filmmaking and really getting you into a particular mindset of those characters, I think is really astounding. And yeah, you are very uncomfortable throughout a lot of climax, but I think it for the most part finds a really great balance of being uncomfortable, but at the same time having a sort of aesthetic quality that you can appreciate as well. So yeah. it's a very interesting movie for sure. Very much so. Uh, and then number two, I don't want to be repetitive, so I'm not going to be. I'm not going to go into detail. But number two is Apollo 11. And number one is Us. 
And it's interesting because both of those movies are 8 out of 10s. I have not seen a 9 out of 10 movie uh, that's been released theatrically. I want to just add that little asterisk on there. Uh, Yet. However, um, as Will, Deanne, myself will attest to, there are some really, really great movies coming on down the pike. So with that said, has there been like any uh, performances from the first three months that really, really stood out to anyone? Um, Like I mentioned Mads Mikkelsen before. Could he be resurrected by critics groups? Has there been anything uh, maybe Deanne, for example, like Julianne Moore and Gloria Bell? I mean, I think she'll probably end up in my personal lineup. Um, whether or not it translates to award season, it's just so hard to tell right now. Um, but with some of the strong performance I saw at Sundance, but most of those are smaller films, it's just so hard for me to say. And I think, you know, Lapita still is there and in the discussion. I mean, sure. we could we could be surprised at how that hangs around this year. She'll probably show up with maybe a Critics Guild or yep, some yep. sort of, Science, what is it, Will? The Satellite Awards or something? Yeah, the Satellite Awards. Yeah, she'll probably get an nomination there. Probably won't translate to Oscar, but uh, I would say she's my favorite performance of the year so far, even if she won't crack my personal lineup. No, I I agree there, Michael, in the sense that the quality of work is definitely there. I just feel very burned by Tony Collette last year, and I don't want to get my hopes up. So I'm I'm very comfortable right now saying, hey, it's a great performance. If critics want to go for bat to bat for it later on in the year to try and make it happen, I'm all for it. I think I think it's totally a worthy performance in every single regard. I'm just not going to predict it like I did last year for Tony Collette because that was just heartbreaking for yeah, me. Be a fan of I I I might have been a fan. <laughs> um, I don't think it's going. It's not going to go anywhere near the Oscars because the film was so small. But I could see a critic group or two nominating Matthias Schoenhartz for the Mustang. He's excellent. In that. Oh my gosh. Oh, yeah. my gosh. He's good. Unfortunately, the movie he's in is not that great. But, man, I, I agree with you, Will. That's an actor that he he is consistently very solid mm. all the time. And this is probably the best I've seen him, too. And you're right, Josh, in the sense that he just needs a better movie to put him in that conversation. He's like, it's like he's right there. Yeah, I always feel like he's been like on the cusp of really breaking through with something, but it just hasn't quite happened yet and unfortunately i don't really think it's going to be the mustang either i think it's just going to be another solid movie where he's really good in it but just still hasn't quite broken through yet because i agree with you he is a great great actor and i love to see him in in anything that he's in yeah uh what was that one uh bullhead uh rustin bone he should have gotten an oscar nomination for rustin bone oh Man. Oh, quick shout out to Isabella Huppert from Greta. <laughs> what a fun performance that was. <laughs> that she was fantastic. The end where she does this weird little dance throughout her. Yes. <laughs> I haven't you seen know, that yet. You just reminded me. I missed that one. There's so many memes and gifts from that movie <laughs> that I will just hold dear to my heart because Isabelle Huppert is just so batshit insane in it. I love it. That, that, that was a pretty fun movie. Yeah. If we're talking about just good performances that are not in Oscar movies, I was so disappointed by this film as a whole, but I think Sam Elliott gave the best performance of his career in The Man Who Killed Hitler and then Bigfoot. I heard so much good stuff about that. Is it true? No. Oh, no? I mean, the, the movie is not that good. Oh, it's it's they they aren't willing to go all in on the absurdity and they're 
most of it is just Sam Elliott struggling with getting old and being depressed. And he's really good doing that. But it's not the movie we were sold. There's like 15 minutes of Bigfoot hunting. Oh, man. That's that's disappointing. Missed opportunity. At the same time, no, I, I'm really, really excited to hear the phrase best performance of Sam Elliott's career or one of the best. So that's that's definitely something to keep an eye on. I might have to, uh, you know, stream that at some point. Uh, was there anything from the first half of the first quarter of the year that disappointed you all? I mean, Will, piggybacking off of what you just said there, uh, was, was there anything that you all went into high expectations with? And it doesn't mean it has to be terrible, but it just didn't meet those expectations. And it, and it disappointed you that it couldn't. Mm-hmm. The Boy Who Harnessed the Wind, mm. I was disappointed in. And then I was really disappointed in Glass. Yeah. Oh, my God. Yes. And I, I was very excited for that. I love the film Unbreakable. I really enjoyed Split. I love James McAvoy. Talk about just giving <laughs> it all to a performance. If you just wanted, I just loved watching him perform in that movie. Um, but there was something about Glass. It was just odd and meandered in weird ways and didn't work for me. Velvet Buzzsaw. Yes. Yeah, that was a miss too. And a huge opportunity with that. with that cast and that director. But And I loved the first half of it. I I thought the whole movie should have been that. Yeah. Art criticism and everybody acting like really snobby. I thought those characters were so much fun. But as soon as they start getting into the horror, I just, I was like, why? Like, did this, I don't know. I think they were just they trying. They had no rules. Yeah. That was the problem is that. They, the horror movie they wanted to make was so inconsistent in what the rules were, and you just kept getting distracted by that. Where's Randy Meeks when you need him? Mm. You need that rules in your horror movies. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Uh, Lego Movie 2, the second part, for me, yeah. was a huge disappointment. And I think it's because of Lego fatigue, actually. I don't think it even cracked 100 million. I'm gonna it, look just it, up it. it just oh, it did. It just did this did. weekend. Yeah. Well, that's still pretty big that it took this long to get there. I liked it too. I just didn't love it like I liked like I loved the first one. And also Lego Batman. I love Lego Batman. But yeah. this it was very interesting because I could see they were doing like the same thing that they had done before but just something maybe it's the Phil Lord and Chris Miller uh part of it, you know, from a directing standpoint. Maybe because that was missing, it just didn't click. Has anyone seen How to Train Your Dragon? Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. I like that oh, yeah. a lot. Okay. Better than Lego? I didn't yeah, I liked Lego. it more than Lego, definitely. And they're about on par with the same for me. I was actually kind of let down a little bit by How to Train Your Dragon as well. I have to say that I think How to Train Your Dragon is a very okay movie, and then it becomes a great movie for the last five minutes. Oh, well, the last five minutes are like, you know, you think I cried during Dumbo. <laughs> <laughs> Dumbo and How to Train Your Dragon will not be watched by me this year. It's just not happening. I will say, like, Dumbo disappointed me in that, as you might already know, I do a lot of defending of the Disney live-action remakes because I think some of them are quite good, and I went into Dumbo hoping it would be good um, and then didn't think it was at all. So, What was the worst movie that you guys have seen so far this year? I like everything I've seen. Like the lowest I've given, lowest rating I've given was a seven. So just if you're looking at what happens to be at the bottom, I would say Glass. But I actually enjoyed Glass for what it was. Um, Serenity is the worst film I've seen this year. Yeah, Serenity is on a whole other level. (laughs) (laughs) Matt, can you go all in for Serenity since it's been a few months now? 
Oh my god. Please our listeners with that bonkers twist. What's really crazy about Serenity is that actually it's not my least favorite movie of the year. The upside is. But Serenity gets a one notch above the upside because it was so ridiculous to the point that it almost like it entertained me on the same in the same way that the room entertains me where it's just so god awful that you just can't help but laugh and i found myself leaning forward wide-eyed with a huge smile on my face and i'm just like (laughs) i'm like playing with my beard because i'm just like oh my god this is amazing how truly awful this is like like there There was definitely yeah there's definitely something to appreciate and just how absurdly awful the movie is and i can appreciate that to a certain extent but i also can't deny that just everything about it is so unbelievably bad like just objectively speaking it is the worst thing that i have seen this year like the dialogue is um just i i you know there was so many points throughout the movie where i didn't know what tone it was going for i i had no idea Forget about like the plot and what the twist is and like how it all kind of unravels. But there was just so many times in this where I didn't know if it was supposed to be played for humor. I didn't know if it was a uh, misdirection or bad direction. I, I just like this thing was a complete mess all the way through. And it starts off with this like really pounding adrenaline pumping music from Benjamin Wallfish. And I'm starting to think that this is like some sort of an action movie at first. And it's not at all like it, 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 it defies, it defies any kind of a summary or explanation. It's just one of those movies that from a rental standpoint, I I would say if you guys just want to, from a curiosity, just want to, See what this is all about, because I'm telling you, I, I I could spoil what the twist is or you probably have read it online, whatever. Um, I do think that most of the fun that comes from this movie is going in, not knowing anything about it and just watching how unbelievably bad it is and wondering to yourself, how the fuck did this get greenlit? <laughs> yeah, and how did so many talented people say yes to it? Like, that what happened the- to Stephen Knight? Not. Yeah, yeah, Stephen Knight. Like, how did he go from writing an Oscar-nominated screenplay and stuff like Eastern Promises and Peaky Blinders to... Like, how does this even happen? (sighs) And Locke is great. Yeah, Locke is solid, too. Like, this this suggests a degree of ineptitude of a a just different screenwriter. And apparently he was proud of it, and McConaughey and Hathaway were proud to be there at first, and then the studio just, you know, dumped it, and then everyone got, got angry with them. I... I can understand what Stephen Knight was trying to get with this. I I understand the message. But my God, the execution. Yeah. You know what it feels like? It feels like he had an idea for something that he just also didn't have a real grasp of. And I think that the other movies that he's worked on that are really well done don't really go into the philosophical ideas especially relating to a particular piece of technology, let's say, that Serenity is dealing with. And I Mm -hmm. just don't think he really has a good understanding about how to incorporate that in an authentic way. And I think that's where that movie just really goes off the rails. And it involves an actor who I really, really like, and I really badly want to see him get an Oscar nomination at some point, Jason Clark, who (laughs) sadly just can't seem to catch a break, it feels like. (laughs) 
in so many movies. Even like when he's associated with good movies like Mudbound and First Man, it's like he he then has like a role in them that just doesn't seem to get him anywhere near the awards conversation. It's just so unfortunate. He was really good in uh, what's he called? Uh, Everest. I loved him in the. I had no idea who you were at first, and I'm like, oh, that's Will doing a voice. <laughs> I thought we had like a new computer to the park. <laughs> like I was like, who the hell just came <laughs> onto the show? <laughs> <laughs> Someone dial in. <laughs> oh God, that was that was good, Will. I, sometimes I don't I don't fall for it, but that one got me. You know what sucked was the Prodigy. Oh, so bad. Yeah. Uh, who had the unfortunate task of seeing that for the site? I think it was Josh Williams took the bullet on that one, or Danilo. I can't remember which one it was. And yet three of us saw it. <laughs> yeah. Oh man. That, was that like just one of those things where it's like, oh, there's nothing playing. Let's go see this and see what's up. I, I go see almost any horror movie. My, one of my roommates and um, his former co-worker are just horror fanatics. And so we, we go almost every week, regardless wow. of what it is. Oh, my. Well, that's unfortunate. There's a lot of really bad horror out there. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, man. Well, anyone else? Any other thoughts on the uh, first quarter of 2019? Okay. Uh, looking forward to the future one more time, and then we'll revisit the polls again to talk about uh, 2015 and the retrospective that we're going to start. Uh, we're going to look forward to a film that's coming out once again in August. Uh, this is Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark, a film that is being presented to us uh, by Guillermo del Toro, directed by Andre Overdahl. I hope I'm saying that one correctly. He's got a lot of slashes and marks in his name, so there's some pronunciation there for the Norwegian film director. Uh, Alrighty, let's take a look at the trailer for this one and see what's up. This town has told stories about me. Horrible stories. But they don't realize I have scary stories of my own. Tell me a story. Sarah Bellows's book, where the stories write themselves and it all comes alive. You don't read the book. The book reads you. Wait, I'm gonna die, Dad. We're next. We're next. This is such a weird week to be doing these trailers because they're both nostalgia trailers. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. You know, these uh, scary stories to read in the dark. We used to have time in like elementary school where the teacher would turn off the lights and we'd all sit you know, on the carpet and she would like read one of the short stories. And now it's like this these stories that we're seeing in the trailer are not ones that I remember from reading the books years ago. Mm-hmm. Well, the pimple one I do. Yeah, yeah I definitely remember that. Yeah, this actually goes back to my childhood too. So whoa, you know. <laughs> years old, aren't they? Yeah, they are. Um 
I was really impressed with how this trailer doesn't relent at all. And I I was wondering, like, are, do they really keep this tone up through the whole movie? Because if so, I am way in. I, it kind of reminds me. So, first of all, I was a troubled child. Um, I don't know if any of you guys have seen Flowers in the Attic. But I was obsessed with the author of Flowers <laughs> in the Attic, E.C. Andrews. And I read every single one of her weird books that are, like, rooted in incest and all kinds of weird stuff so um it was that and early rl stein and stephen king that shaped my childhood reading wow yeah um so anyway i i was impressed like i said with the tone of this i i am very curious to see how it holds on to it and how it pulls the story together i'm excited about the guillermo del toro influence uh it reminds me a little bit there's a film that really went came and went that a lot of people didn't see but it's one of my favorite scary movies of the last 15 years called don't be afraid of the dark which also guillermo del toro had influence on and it reminds me a lot of that it's kind of the story of this girl who is dealing with all of the these horrors around her and nobody believes her and she's, you know, kind of struggling with that. I feel like this could have a similar um, kind of uh, theme and I'm excited. So way to go. Good trailer. I actually uh, did not know this, but I just looked up uh, Andre Overdahl's uh, name to see if he had done anything else. And I have to say, I am actually now more excited for this movie than I was uh, even just a few minutes ago. Because he has directed Troll Hunter, which was one of those, mm. um, like, I was with my friends and somebody said, oh, I was told you we need to check this out on Netflix. And uh, we just watched it. And it was one of those, like, wow, I can't believe that this is actually decent. Yeah, that's a good movie. The Autopsy of Jane Doe was his next film. And that's really good that not a lot of people have seen with uh, Emile Hirsch, Brian Cox. And Roose Bolton. Yes. Yes. Michael uh, McL, I can never say his last name, McAllison, I think it is. Something like that. Surely. But that's a really good less than 90 minutes. It's 86 minutes long. uh, Played at the Toronto Film Festival. Got really positive reviews. Um, I would really, really recommend that one. I I really enjoyed that film a lot. So now is it still there? I think it is. It is. Yeah. I I, uh, just watched it the other week. So there you go. Troll Hunter and the autopsy of Jane Doe. You can watch uh, both of Andre's movies before you see scary stories to tell in the dark. And I think that will put everyone in the right frame of mind that this is a director who knows what he's doing. And from a story from Guillermo del Toro, uh, based on the nostalgia factor here, I don't see how this can possibly be a lose situation. It looks really good. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, to be honest with you, like I have passing familiarity with the stories, but not like it's been a while. I don't remember that much from them, but this trailer really sold me. And I think it looks to be honest, I think it looks really, really good. I'm very excited to see it. Definitely. Also, Michael, I was uh, I was checking uh, most of the creatures and they are right out of the stories like the the monster looking for its severed toe. You see yes. and the pale lady. I mean, like most of those are right out of, and the scarecrow, most of them are right out of Alvin Schwartz's stories. All right. So then maybe it was just, you know, 13, 14 years past and some of them have exited my mind. So. Sure. Sounds like you're senile, Michael. Uh. Do you remember this one, Michael? Don't you ever laugh when the hearse goes by or you will be the next to die? That, that one sounds vaguely familiar, you know, if you <laughs> think of it. I'm, maybe I'll have to revisit some of these short stories. I'll tell you what, I don't laugh when the hearse goes by. So. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, By the way, Alvin Schwartz, no relation. 
<laughs> Hello everyone, this is JD from the In Session Film Podcast. Each week we review the latest from Hollywood, California. Well, yes, Brendan. We also give top three lists. Okay, yeah. Thanks again, Brendan. Additionally, you can hear us talk other movie news, trailers, varying movie series, or other interesting film-related topics, and even rants and raves of the week. That's correct, Brendan. On top of our main show, every Friday... You can also hear our extra film podcasts. Good job, Brendan. Thank you, JD. It's my goal to make you proud. You're the father, after all. <laughs> yes, and I'm very proud. Uh, you can listen to the In Session Film podcast on... iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, or at InSessionFilm.com. Brendan, will you please let me complete just one... Nope. Oh, for heaven's sake. Listen to the In Session Film podcast every Monday and Friday. Subscribe today and hear me verbally beat JD like a Cherokee drum. No, 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 no. That's not kidding? how this works, sir. Hey, no, you, you, no, no, you no. go cry at Midnight Special again, oh, okay? okay? That's what you're I good will. for. I will. You know what? And I'll do it while pummeling you. I'll do both at the same time. How are you going to pummel me? Yeah, I, I, I don't, I don't buy it that. That's just how <laughs> it works. And now, uh, to close out everything on this week's episode, uh, we are going to reveal the results of the polls. Uh, so last week's poll for Dumbo, we asked everyone which is their favorite Disney live-action remake of their own animated films. Uh, choices range from 101 Dalmatians to Alice in Wonderland, Beauty and the Beast, Christopher Robin, uh, the most recent, Dumbo, Jungle Book, Pete's Dragon, etc., etc. And the winner with 49 votes is The Jungle Book. What? <laughs> well, I know that's not what Nicole and I voted for. <laughs> I can't argue with that, though. It wasn't my choice, but The Jungle Book is magnificent. Interesting. Mm. I can argue with that. In second place with 38 votes is Beauty and the Beast. There it is. What the heck? Mm. What the hell? <laughs> Even better. Okay. And in third place with 35 votes is cinderella there she is <laughs> have courage and be kind people and Honestly, make how dare they disrespect kenneth brada like this <laughs> <laughs> i agree enough uh, rounding things out in fourth place with 28 votes is 101 dalmatians starring oscar nominee don't <laughs> Glenn Close. <laughs> the robbed winner. <laughs> and then in fifth place, uh, to tie everything together with 24 votes, is David Lowry's Peach Dragon. Oh, that's that's nice. I love that movie. It's a really, really beautiful movie. I am honest to God shocked that Beauty and the Beast came in above Cinderella. And that's as someone who likes Beauty and the Beast. And above Pete's Dragon. see Cinderella and Pete's Dragon. I mean, I think a lot, like everybody saw Beauty and the Beast. It made like... What over a billion worldwide? Yep. Yes, it did. Cinderella did well, but not. It wasn't the phenomenon box office wise that Beauty and the Beast was. That's fair. Yeah, I would. I would actually uh, agree and say there. I think there's a lot of people that still have not seen it. I haven't seen it. Well, there's still time. Wait, what? <laughs> I'm time. sorry. It's it's really good. Will it it, it is really good. Will it's one of Kate Blanchett's best performances. It truly yeah. is. Emily James is so good. Oh, yeah, so good. It is good. All right, so you have everyone telling you it's good, Will. All right, I don't know what else we could do to say that you it's should Lenny check it James out. And Richard Madden, Will. <laughs> oh yeah, it's got Rob Stark. That's right. And that does sound appealing. Yeah. Huh. And Helen yeah. Bottom Carter. Man, I gotta rewatch that again. I liked it a lot, but I. That. Yeah, I should. I should buy it. I should. I don't know why I don't have it on Blu-ray. I have it. <laughs> you want to give it to me? No. no. All right. <laughs> okay, and now, oh man, starting in April. All the way until September. 
We are going to be looking back at the year 2015, everybody. And so we had two polls up. And the two polls were basically asking, uh, which 2015 Best Picture nominees do you want us to review on the podcast? And also, which 2015 non-Best Picture Oscar nominees do you want us to review on the podcast? So you had to be nominated for an Oscar in 2015 to be eligible for these two polls. Now, we'd already reviewed Mad Max Fury Road before on the podcast, and that's actually what inspired the idea for this. And so that wasn't listed with the Best Picture nominees. So we had all the others listed, and five of them are going to move forward, and two of them will not. So, with over over a thousand votes for each poll, here we go. With 101 votes in fifth place, nominated for five Academy Awards and the winner for Best Adapted Screenplay, the big short. All right. In fourth place with 122 votes. Nominated for three Oscars is Brooklyn. Yes. Yay. Woohoo. Oh, that's amazing. In third place, nominated for 12 Academy Awards and winner of three with 148 votes is The Revenant. Mm. I'm looking forward to talking about that one. <laughs> <laughs> In second place, with 151 votes, nominated for six Academy Awards and winner of two, including Best Picture, is Spotlight. And in first place, with 158 votes, nominated for four Academy Awards and winner for Best Actress is Room. Wow. Surprise that came in first. Yep. <laughs> it got the most votes. The best film of that year is Into the Tour. You guys are all sleeping on it. Oh, I that love that movie, but was it really so the best good. of the year? Far and away, the, my favorite. It was in my top ten. Yeah, it was in my top ten too. I will argue that it has uh, one of the best screenplays. And oh my god, what's his name? Jason, Jason Siegel. Siegel. Yes, Jason Siegel's <laughs> performance is so phenomenal. Oh he he was robbed. God. Yeah, he's my best actor winner that year. Is he is he best actor or is he supporting? I say he's actor. Yeah, he's lead. Yeah. Okay. I want to hear Will's spotlight impression. Let's have it, Will. Oh, here we go. And they let it happen. I was Two kids. kids. Okay. It's time, Get Matt. Tell Matt it's time. It's time. <laughs> the, the thing about Spotlight, a movie I flat out love, it was one of my top three of that year, is of all the great supporting performances in that movie, they pick that performance mm-hmm. for the nomination. Everyone. Liv Shriver, Stanley Tucci, Michael Keaton. Mark Ruffalo. It's, it's because he had that scene. It's literally because he had that scene. I know, but he's so over the top. Like people are like, "Oh no, look at the real Marty Resendez." It's like, no, no. I mean, I've watched videos of um, Ruffalo is so over the top. Like, remember they're talking about Tushi and they're like, "But be careful, he's a little bit of a character." And then the camera like pans over, and Ruffalo's like, "Characters, I love characters." <laughs> Tushi's just like a normal dude, and the only character <laughs> just like. Talk about a good scene. Tucci had the scene in that movie. I, I mean, I agree with you there, Michael. I, and I know what you're, I know what you're talking about. But uh, Ruffalo's moment was one of those moments where that's like the kind of scene that casts like a hush over the audience, and then everybody just goes, "Whoa!" You know what I mean? Because it's the loudest moment in the whole movie. So I, I see why the nomination happened. I, I, yeah, I, I, I agree. It's not his best work. I still, I'm not as hateful on it as Will is, but. I, I don't actually hate that performance. I just like to make fun of it. Oh, 
Oh. I think I would argue it is the least effective performance in that ensemble. Yes. But great mm. movie. I can't wait to talk about it. So apologies to Bridge of Spies and The Martian. You guys came very <laughs> close. I would have liked to talk about Bridge of Spies more than any of these, but I hate to say this, but Bridge of Spies actually was in last place. Well, it's in my heart. I know. Can we talk about what an insane ensemble the Martian has? Like it doesn't do much with most of them, but like Kristen Wig cast. Everyone. Yeah, it's true. Sean Bean is in it. Yeah. I will reiterate, like half of Hollywood is in that movie. Donald Glover, <laughs> Jessica Chastain. Chudel, Gia Four, Kate Mara, Jeff Daniels, oh, Michael yeah. Pena. Uh it's it's insane. Wait, what was the Ridley Scott movie that Idris was in? Oh, he was in Prometheus. Prometheus. Okay. I knew it was a space movie from the mid two thousand tens. Space movie. <laughs> okay, now this is where things get very interesting because we had a wide range of films here for this next category. Uh, so we have five Best Picture nominees, five non-Best Picture nominees. We're going to do two a month. And we had, for this, we had 45 Years, Amy, Anna Lisa, Carol, Creed, The Danish Girl, Ex Machina, The Hateful Eight, Inside Out, Joy, Sicario, Spectre, Son of Saul, Star Wars, The Force Awakens, Steve Jobs, Straight Outta Compton, and Trumbo. Like, 2015 is a ridiculous year. Oh, yeah. It's a really Have good year. Have I been year. seeing Anomalisa wrong? No, it is Anomalisa. No, it is Anomalisa. Yeah. Yeah. Anomalisa. Anomalisa. <laughs> <laughs> like, all right, here we go. Dad's <laughs> just ignoring that. <laughs> He's ignoring me. Hey, listen, if I ignore it, then, you you know, people won't draw attention to it. I mean, we still haven't settled the BAFTA-BAFTA thing, so. <laughs> I've gotten better, I promise. No question. And the BAFTA goes to Animal Lisa. <laughs> Stop it, all of you. Let me just announce the winners and we can all go home. All right, in fifth place with 94 votes, nominated for three Academy Awards. Sicario. In fourth place, with 104 votes, nominated for two Academy Awards, and the winner for Best Animated Feature Film, Inside Out. In third place, tied with Inside Out for 104 votes, nominated for three Academy Awards, and winner for Best Original Score, The Hateful Eight. Oh, Hey, you know what? It'll it'll work nicely with uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood when it comes out. In second place with 140 votes. Nominated for six Academy Awards, and one of them was not Best Picture. It's Carol. Thanks. Wait, that's number one? That's number two. Uh, oh, oh, oh. Uh -oh. Film Twitter done goofed. <laughs> and number one with 158 votes. Wait, can I guess? Can I guess? Can I guess? Sure. Ricky in the Flash. <laughs> Steve Jobs. Nominated for two Academy Awards. Oh, it is Steve Jobs. And the winner for Best Visual oh, Effects. Yeah. It's wow. Ex Machina. Oh. That's, that, that is a pretty great movie. It doesn't have a third act, but it's, it's a pretty great movie. <laughs> so Sicario and Inside Out are in my top ten for that for the year. So I'm just like revisiting that. That's good. I'll be very happy to uh, thematically tie Inside Out when we have Toy Story uh, for to review on the podcast, and Hateful Eight when we have Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. And what's up with this Paddington erasure? <laughs> Was it nominated? Oh, they had to have been nominated. Oh. Yes. Wait, hey, Matt. Wasn't Star Wars was on the poll, right? 
Star Wars was on the poll. And it did oh. not make the top five. It did not make the top five. Huh? That is really cool on Force Awakens in the last couple of years, though. Well, you know what we have to do now? We have to be like the BFCA and do a recount. And- <laughs> yeah. I won't reveal the numbers, but I will say in sixth place was Steve Jobs. In seventh place was Star Wars The Force Awakens. Okay. Justice for straight out of Compton. What is this crap? Yeah. I- Eighth place was Creed. Ninth place was. Wow. Oh, there's a significant drop actually from Creed. Oh, my. Straight out of Compton. And then 10th place was Anamalisa. Anomaly. Anomalisa. All right. I'm sorry. BAFTA, BAFTA, you know, whatever. I loved with Love and Mercy. That was a great movie. It's it's too bad it didn't get any nominations, but. I mean, we know that my favorite 2015 was Cinderella. Cinderella, of course. <laughs> yeah, me too. That's Which was for nominated me. for an Oscar. And of course, I want to give a shout out to Ryan C. Showers. Uh, Joy did not place in the top 10, but oh, hey, it was on the list. Bummed. I also heard Adam McKay's going to be doing the Elizabeth Holmes story. Is that a rumor? Or is that true? Oh, that must just be a rumor. It, no, be- he, he got the rights to it two years ago, and he was going to make it with Jennifer Lawrence before uh, Oh, was, I and, forgot about that. Yeah, and now it's just kind of sitting there, so it'll be interesting to see if he returns to it. But no, he has the rights to it, and as far as I can tell, Lawrence is still attached. The project's just kind of been idling. I hope she's practicing her non-blinking. And her, like, baritone. And her baritone. I picture Jennifer Lawrence there. I picture Charlize Theron. Yeah. Yeah, but she's got younger, right? Like, she was young. She she was, like, 21 when she started this. Jennifer Lawrence makes sense. I think she could do it. That could be your comeback. What comeback? I know, seriously. She's doing great. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, that's it. We have our 2015 retrospective all set. I will do my best to try and figure out uh, which months to review which films. And uh, yeah, I'm really, really excited. Uh, This is a new venture for us. So hopefully it all goes well. And then next year we'll backtrack. We'll do 2014 and so on and so forth, and we'll see if we can make this a uh, annual tradition during the off season. I'm really, really excited. Yeah, me too. With that said, uh, I'm all done. I have nothing else left to give, and so, Will Mavity, do you have anything else you want to say before you go? Yeah, 1917. Everybody suddenly yes. that it includes. Uh, Colin Firth, Benedict Cumberbatch, Richard Madden, Mark Strong. That dude who played Moriarty in Sherlock, Andrew Scott. Andrew Scott, yeah. Um, In addition, it has George McKay, who was great in Captain Fantastic, and um, Dean Charles Chapman, who was good at playing Feckless as Thomas Baratheon, shot by Roger Deakins, scored by Thomas Newman, edited by Lee Smith of Christopher Nolan's Everything, the production designer from Blade Runner 2049, and the Oscar-winning costume designer from Anna Karenina. This thing sounds absolutely off the chain, and supposedly it's going to be done in time for Christmas. That's phenomenal. That's my Christmas present. (laughs) I think we have a contender. I think so, too. I mean, it's been a while since Sam Mendes has been in contention, so... It's because he's been busy doing theater. Well, and and blockbusters. Yeah, Bond. So, hopefully, though, the quality is there because, I mean, Spectre... Let's just hope he was tired he when he did Spectre. Spectre, remember? Exactly. When Sony leak. They literally said, like, he keeps saying no because he doesn't like the script. We need to give him more money. I mean, like, 
No one wanted to do Spectre. Yeah, correct. I, I'm just oh, gonna, a, oh, so conversation. <laughs> while we're doing this, how about the fact that one Cohen, not both Cohens, is doing a Macbeth movie with Denzel and Francis McDormand? That is awesome, awesome news. Uh, you're not a little weary, Michael, that it's only one of them, though? It could be as simple as it's wait, Joel's directing and Ethan's not doing it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it could be as simple as Ethan saying, hey, I don't like Shakespeare. You take this one. I hope so. I really hope it's like not one of those things where Ethan is because, you know, listen, we, we kind of it's very interesting how I viewed Coen Brothers as a single person and people from their sets, the actors they work with, say that talking to one of them is like talking to the other. And and they're both in their 60s. And I, I just hope that it's not one of those things where like Ethan is, you know, kind of just you know, ready to move on, you know, or something like that. Uh, but then again, uh, Joel Cohen did get sole directing credit on their earlier films. Well, that uh, was so. due to DGA rules, really. I think even in those early Oh, even films, then it was both of them together? Yeah, they were yeah. Both still he just, Oh, okay. Well, then, yeah, hopefully this isn't like one of those things, though, where it's just, you know what I'm saying? Like, I just hope it's not that. I really do. Uh, if we're doing other news... Uh, Tom Hanks is going to be playing Colonel Tom Parker. I have no idea if he sounds. I don't like even know that. what you just said. That was so unintelligible. What? Colonel Tom Parker. Is this Whenever... Pirates of the Caribbean? No, no, it's, it's more like Southern, you know, like, Colonel oh. William Mavity, you know. Oh, like, I'm, I'm still hearing pirates. <laughs> no, it's, it's like pirate is not far from like antebellum southern governor anyway. i'm just gonna go on his imdb and look up what this is because i can't make out what you're saying Colonel he's playing tom, elvis's manager he was elvis's manager it would tom be tom hanks kind of playing a villain oh huh. first time since the lady killers and cloud atlas who's playing elvis oh they haven't cast it yet michael i love that you just said cloud atlas by the way as a I villain like role for cloud hanks atlas. cloud atlas is great i like that movie yeah, some of Tom Hanks's performances in that movie are really bad, and then some of them are good. It's uh, like that Cockney accent. Oh, yeah, I'm with you on that. All right, awesome, cool beans. Well, uh, we have a lot of stuff to look forward to in April. Like I said, 2015, uh, we have Next Best Theater. We've got Game of Thrones podcast starting up. Uh, obviously, the 2019 slate of films just keeps on rolling on through. I mean, you know. Not to mention Avengers Endgame, which is, you know, for many, one of the most anticipated films of the year. So there's a lot to look forward to here on the Next Best Picture podcast. Here to tell you all about it, Will Mavity, where can they find you on the internet? I see turtles. <laughs> you asked for the on it. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Mavericks Movies. Agreed. Oh my god. I I have a friend of mine and that's all we used to do is just quote Pirates of the Caribbean to each other, but like the really ridiculous lines. Like guidelines anyway. <laughs> Human hair from my back. I'm sorry, okay. That that sounded like Christian Bale as Batman. <laughs> uh, I was trying to go for Johnny Depp, but it just didn't come out right. Well, right. Why did he sound like Tormund Giants Bane? Can we move on? Michael Schwartz, where can they find you I'm on the internet? Shooting. Well, I cannot follow up that one, so I'm just going to tell you where to find me. You can find me on Twitter at mschwartz95. Dan Knighton. So I don't do accents, but I need someone to say, you better start believing in ghost stories, Miss Swan. You're in one. I'll do it. (laughs) Okay. You best start believing in ghost stories, Miss Swan. You're in one. Excellent. Thank you. And I am at TweedleDD33. Nicole Ackman. I am at Nicole Ackman16. (laughs) Josh Parham. 
Uh, I'm on Twitter at J.R. Parham. And somebody just do an accent for Will, please. Nicole. Oh, God. Nicole can. I've heard it. <laughs> um, I am Nicole Ackman, 16, on Twitter. Ooh. This is my bad French accent when I like to mock people in the Beauty and the Beast film. I was going to say, I'm like, when did Isabel Huppert, like, come on to our podcast, everybody? <laughs> oh, my. And you can find me at Next Best Picture. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening to episode 136 of the Next Best Picture podcast. You can subscribe to us on iTunes, SoundCloud, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn Player FM, and also on Acast and CastBox. Be sure to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Let us know what you think of the show. Rate us five stars. We're actually trying to hit a number of reviews right now. I would love to hit 200 podcast reviews on iTunes. We're currently at 127. So whatever you could do to help us get there. It's not my birthday. It's not the holidays or anything like that. But man, would that mean a lot to me if you could help us get to that number. All you got to do is go on there and rate us five stars. And if you're feeling generous after that point, head on over to Patreon, where for $1 minimum a month, you'll get some of the exclusive podcasts that we mentioned earlier throughout this episode. Thank you so much for listening, as always, and we shall see you all next time. Next time.